Hey guys, you guys get out and ride your bikes this weekend? Oh yeah, did Kaylee's Grode series like we always do. Oh, super fun. Man, sounds like a lot of fun. Well, hey, riding your bike can help you out with our good friends over at Health IQ, the life insurance that offers great policies for healthy people. That's right, Fred. All our listeners have to do is head to healthiq.com slash VelaNews. Get a super special quote for being so very fit and healthy. On with the show. Welcome back to the Vel News Podcast. I am Fred Dreyer, and I'm about to scream with delight. Angleroo! Oh my God, guys. It was the end of the Welta Espana. Uh, Kaylee Fretz and Spencer Paulison are just laughing at me right from, uh, from across I thought the you table. Had, I thought you had transformed into a werewolf for I a moment. I thought about it. That's how... S- I didn't think you'd be Team Jacob. That's didn't how excited I get when the Angleroo is on the menu. And it was this weekend, this Saturday. We were treated, it delivered, yeah. We were treated to a great uh, penultimate stage of the Vuelta España uh, when the riders went up the steepest, nastiest, gnarliest climb in Europe. And our man, Alberto Contador, came out on top. Uh, you're tuned to the Valley's Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer. Sitting across from me, Kaylee Fretz. Hey, Fred. And Spencer Paulison. Greetings. And, of course, on the other line, our main man in Spain, we have our European correspondent, Andy Hood, on the line. Andy, que pasa? Buenas noches, chicos. <laughs> oh, my God. The sweet, sultry sounds. Uh, before we get into a, a discussion about this, Andy, we got to ask you, you were there at the start line of the Anglerou Day. Set the scene for us. What was was it like and what was the uh, attitude and mood around the riders and the the teams there was a sense of anticipation and dread the weather was changing by the minute when we rocked into the start it had rained a lot in the morning kind of the clouds had cleared out and it was almost sunny and then suddenly this this big tormenta blew off the north atlantic and just rammed into the mountains that back up against the northern coast and that's exactly where the angleru was and the riders were seeing the videos that were coming down from the summit some of the journalists had gone up there earlier and the podium had blown off the top of the mountain they had to dismantle some of the uh finish line apparatus some of those big balloons and those big uh arcs they had constructed all were just simply blown off the top of the mountain so everyone had that anticipation they knew it was going to be an epic day Kofidis must have been so disappointed to see all their lovely red collateral getting ripped apart by the Spanish winds. <laughs> I just love that this is like standard for Angleroo. Last week, uh, I put together a blog ranking the YouTube clips for the Angleroo, and like every single clip is just like buckets of rain, fog, hail, wind. I mean, it just seems like there's never a nice day on that mountain. <laughs> it's actually uh, people were actually kind of joking about that because the day before the beach there in Hong was just packed with people because it was a perfectly sunny day. Uh, it's just one of those weird coincidences of the weather that blows off the North Atlantic. I think that it's just serendipity. It's just luck, really, because the day before and the day after it was fine. Whoa, whoa, you were on the beach hoodie. I thought you were working the Vuelta for us. <laughs> Wait a second. What's going on here? Busted. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you said that the riders were anticipating, they were a little nervous. I mean, is that is that the reputation that this mountain has? I mean, it, we know it as fans to be this big, steep, crazy road that produces battles. But within the peloton, I mean, are guys, do, do guys fear this mountain? Do they, you know, do they, do they have a hard time knowing that they have to race up it? I think for the top guys, for the GC guys and the guys riding for the stage, that's maybe 20, 25 guys in the peloton. 
the rest of the guys is just a slog. They just have to get to the top, beat the time, the time gap, the time cut, and they'll be okay. But I think the fear was more where the descents, the two descents off the Cobatoria and the Cordal are both very sketchy, narrow roads, off camber, bumpy, uh, wet roads. And we saw some pretty nasty crash. The Cordal, which is the last descent heading right to the base of the Anglaru, has claimed some victims over the years. And, and it, it took a few people out on, on Saturday as well. We saw Nibali had crashed, De La Fuente, a few other guys. And it really shaped the outcome of really the whole Welton because Nibali didn't really uh, confirm today they actually had a broken, fractured rib from that crash. So he couldn't attack Froome. And that's where Contador actually attacked going down the Cordal with uh, Pantano. And they opened up a 40-second gap hitting the base of the Angleru on the GC guys. And that proved decisive for him to win that stage. Now, I believe that is the descent where uh, David Miller like uh, got off his bike a decade or so ago and did what David Miller does best and like complained a lot and launched a formal uh, formal complaint against the race. Is that the one? Is that the right one? That's right. That's where we saw guys. Uh, Miller crashed. Uh, Escartine went flying into a ditch one year. So did uh, Zule, I think. Uh, Ulrich crashed there. It's really, I, I, uh, I've ridden around on those climbs a few times, and, and they're narrow and nasty. And, and that's even where uh, one of the Guardia Civil motorcycle riders, uh, policemen, died uh, on one of those roads around that area. I'm not sure if it's quite the Cordal or Cobertoria, but very dangerous descents. And um, that's where I think a lot of the tension was coming from the peloton. No, I take that back. David Miller rightly complained, as he <laughs> is one to do so many times. Uh, so obviously, Alberto Contador has this great performance. At one point, he's riding with a minute gap. He rides through the breakaway. At the end, he holds off Chris Froome and Walt Poles by a fingernail to win. Um, Hoodie, what has, first of all, what was the reaction like across Spain? Um, and what has that reaction been like? Um, over the last few days. Yeah, it was really quite moving to see how the Spanish public has been reacting to Contador, really this, the whole Welta. Every day, there were really massive, genuine crowds out at the start, at the finish, along the roadside. Contador is quite loved within Spain. He, he, he really, I think, touched a core with the larger public beyond even the cycling public into the larger, um, kind of broader public, There's the average sports fan. Because Spain's had this kind of golden era of sport over the last 10 or 15 years with uh, Nadal and tennis, Alonso Formula One, Gasol and basketball, all these other sports. They've been really on this kind of 10 or 15 year run in Spain and Contador has been part of that. And so for his last chance to say goodbye to his public on home roads, it was really a three week long goodbye uh, party for Alberto. And it really just climaxed there on the Anglero. I mean, there were journalists were crying. My wife was Spanish. She was crying. She was like, I want Alberto to win. And, um, you know, it was like that. Really across, uh, people just kind of really wanted to see Alberto. This, the way he'd been fighting this whole welter as well. He had, I think, four or five days where he was in the top five, top ten on stages, attacking almost every day where the road went up. He wanted to go out. That's the kind of rider that he was, always on the attack. And really, it's one of the best professional goodbyes of a cyclist really I could in the last 10 years or so maybe Conchalara last year winning gold at Rio in his last race is right up there as well yeah hoodie uh Fred and I were having that debate on uh, I guess just in the office here and talking about it a little and uh, it's pretty hard to top uh, a queen stage victory in your farewell grand tour the Olympic gold's pretty good I'd say but. yeah especially so so many of these grand tour 
guys go out with a bit of a whimper, you know. They're I wouldn't say they stay in the sport too long, but they're, yeah. they're just not at the same level they used to be. And Wiggins abandoned the Giro. Cadell, yeah, yeah. Cadell, I can't remember what his last Grand, grand Tour was, but I don't think it was particularly his strong. His last race was in Australia. Yeah, he yeah. F- wrapped up in, in, um, in at his own race, the, the Cadell Evans Ocean Race in yeah. 2015. Uh, yeah, that's it's pretty, it's some panache for sure to go out like that. Well, I mean, Lance won his last tour. Oh, that's true. Do you he believe did. in miracles? <laughs> Actually, well, wait, Do you wait the last miracles? time around? The, or oh, that other, the, the first the, time which, around. The comeback or? Well, we can, we, wait, we won't go ahead. Aren't we into that. the third comeback now? Um, the third coming? So Ooh. now they've had, Spain has had several days to reflect on this hoodie. What is the buzz like now around Contador? I mean, we saw some photos online. It sounds like they're still having these big crowds show up to see him. He uh, is having some retirement parties. What, you know, if we're, five, six days since his big victory. What are people talking about now with him? Yeah, it was quite a big scene Sunday in Madrid. He did his lap of honor after the stage was over. It was funny, actually. He was so emotional coming into the finish. He kind of sat up and didn't really sprint the last uh, few hundred meters into the line and actually lost fourth place to Kilderman. But he didn't care about that. He was just uh, really wanted to savor that last day into Madrid and rode around with the Sp- waving the Spanish flag over his head. And even today in Spain had a reception in his hometown, the Pistolero del Pinto. And huge crowds there were saying goodbye. Everyone feels like it's kind of the end of an era. Um, This whole generation of cyclists that really had a lot of success over the last 10 or 15 years. Contador really is kind of the last one. I mean, Valverde is the last man standing, but he he had obviously that knee injury at the Tour this year. So we don't know what he'll be like if he's going to finish out his last two years of his contract, what level he'll be at. But Contador was the last big gun, the last big winner of the Spanish uh, riders. Spanish and Armada. People, <laughs> the Spanish Armada. People feel like it's the end of an era. We have some guys coming up over here in Spain. And uh, there's other guys, Enrique Moss and Marc Soler. But it's not going to be the same way. The sports change. It's more international. I think it's really end of days for the Spanish peloton in a lot of ways. Uh, here's a question for you, Hoodie. So whenever we write big, uh, long, exhaustive pieces on Contador, there's the requisite um, several paragraphs about tainted beef and clenbuterol and the ban. Um, in these uh, no doubt fawning things being said about Contador and written about him in Spain, is there that same type of of caveat i mean are the media outlets also mentioning his suspension and uh you know the results that were taken away they do it was it certainly was part of his story and i think it changed contador both as a person as well as his place really in the larger spanish perception of of, of sports stars i think without that case he would have actually been even bigger than he is right now because that did put a, a taint on it on his record and, and his resume, and it has come up. I mean, people aren't dwelling on it. I think the uh, the most of the Spanish media it, it is mentioned, but it's not the central focus of of the stories over this past couple of weeks about Contador. But I think after Contador, when he came back from that ban, he was kind of a different kind of rider. I think he was a little bit more guarded with the public, especially when talking to journalists like us <laughs> when occasionally we would ask him about uh, the band he didn't like those questions and he, he you know publicly he felt he always felt that he felt he was victimized that he was unfairly banned when we even saw other writers coming after him testing positive for clan roll and getting cleared including including his ex-teammate michael rogers yeah. um so it was it was a controversial case one that left a really bad taste uh, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, 
uh, uh, for a lot of people within cycling, I mean, there were rumors that Contador lost a big contract with Hugo Boss, that he was uh, poised to sign before that ban, uh, before that case came up. Uh, even Asubio uh, and Zue revealed yesterday he was ready to sign Contador 2010 and going into 2011, but that was more related to an issue with the Movistar sponsorship. But it did alter and change Contador's trajectory, and he. What he really wanted more than anything was to win one more tour after coming back from that band, and he just couldn't do it. I would have liked to see a skinny guy like Contador in a big, baggy Hugo Boss suit. That would be pretty funny. <laughs> or what about <laughs> He'd Hugo? He looked like a character from The Sopranos. Yeah, Hugo Boss does uh, Musk, too. What would it like, smell Ooh. like Alberto? Smell like Contador. A signature scent. Yeah. That mm. should be the next thing for cyclists. Limitless. Endorsement Marketing opportunities. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, Hoodie, we've appreciated your coverage of the Welta this year and every year. You are our man on the ground, our eyes and ears, and we appreciate it. So, yeah, it's time for you to go to the beach, La Playa, and take a much-needed vacation. Vamos a La Playa. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Hood. Guys, I checked out your Strava from this weekend. It was pretty impressive. You ran, you raced and rode your bikes a lot of miles. I ran some miles Why? this weekend because I'm a healthy individual, Kaylee. Your bike broken? Bike is not broken. I just like to run, guys. Come on. And guess what? Who's chasing you? Health IQ was not chasing me, but they have a great deal for healthy runners and cyclists like us, the people out there who get out every weekend and just feel the burn. That's right, Fred. All you got to do is head to Health IQ dot com slash velonews get yourself a special quote on life insurance uh so very special because you are so very fit ah we're so fit uh cycling much better than running sorry okay we're back so guys the riders themselves were scared of racing up the angler apparently god a bunch of softies. Yeah, pro cyclists. Pro so cyclists. Soft. Just kidding. So God, it looked awful. So it's like Look over. Really it's over four thousand feet uh, over the course of seven point eight miles. Average gradient ten point four percent. Ramps of 23, 24%. This is all going off of memory here. Uh, You're probably exactly right. Listeners should know that I'm not looking at any cheat sheets or anything. But the angler was terrifying. Uh, We watched a bunch of old clips of the guys sprinting up it, even some of the great doping era clips of like Jan Ulrich and his drops pushing some huge gear up it, and Roberto Harras getting the uh, Kelme team time trial lead out up it. That was Mm. great. That was a great year. That was a good year. Um, let's break down this Contador victory though, because like Hoodie said, you know, he has this gap coming off of the previous descent. He attacks with Pantano, but there were some core components that allowed him to get away. So why do we think Alberto Contador won and was able to win? I think the weather played a bit of a role as, as, as we referenced earlier, it was not so nice up there. And I think that made a bigger difference on the way down, which is where Contador got that initial gap than it did on the way up. Because I think the Froome was just super, super cautious. Why, why would he chase a guy that's more than three minutes behind him down this mountain, potentially end his Vuelta on the penultimate day? He's going to take that one pretty easy. We know that Froome is a really good descender. I don't think he would have gotten dropped if he wasn't being a little bit cautious. So certainly that, that the weather was, is, is part of why Contador was able to get that, that gap. But at the end of the day, he finished the stage with almost the same gap as he started that, that climb with. And I think, I honestly think that he, there's a pretty decent chance that he won that race, even if he came to the base of the climb with everybody. Ooh, hot that's take. a hot take. Mm. I, I disagree with that take. Really? Yeah. Why? Well, 
Um, I just think that at a certain point when Walt Poles and Chris Froome decide to light it up with, you know, two and a half K to go, if everyone is together in that point, um, then I don't think they're, they're letting anyone get a gap there. Um, I think the components that really led it to, like Kaylee mentioned, Contador comes into the stage, he's three and a half minutes down. Um, Everybody knows he's going to attack. Everybody's been watching him attack whenever the road goes uphill for the last week. So it's just a given that he's going to go for the stage win. And I think that um, Sky in general is willing to let a guy with three and a half minutes, um, that they have a three and a half minute gap to, okay, get a minute, get a minute and a half up the road. Sure, you want a head start for the stage win, go for it. Um, if Contador comes into that stage in the GC mix, if he's a minute, minute and a half, two minutes down, yeah, they're not, they're not letting any leash go there. I would tend to agree. I would tend to agree. And it's so funny, the sense of inevitability with Contador going on the attack this stage and, and winning as well. It, it, it's like an episode of Seinfeld where you're just waiting for Kramer to pop in the door. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, that's just part of the episode. <laughs> it always happens at some point, and sure enough, there he goes. And I think another factor that is probably partially related to, to Team Sky's tactics is the fact that none of the other GC guys really mounted any significant attacks. And I think that that meant that Sky wasn't compelled to ramp up the pace any more than they needed to. All they had to do is keep nibbly at bay, uh, maybe worry a little about Ilner Zacharin, but not much. And otherwise, the rest of the GC guys are several minutes in arrears. And uh, just they they just didn't really mount any sort of real, real challenge to Froome and Poles. And truthfully, it looked to me like there was a point when Froome told Poles to just settle down a little and that they would just ride to the top together. And uh, who knows, maybe Poles could have chased back Contador in that last kilometer, kilometer and a half, because it looked like he was riding a bit stronger. Contador was right at the limit of what he could do on that climb. He was definitely at the limit. I still think, I actually think that Contador's style is better suited to a climb like that than somebody like Froome's style. Because Froome likes to spin, he likes to sit. That's really hard to do on 24% grades. The fact that Contador is totally comfortable just like standing up for 25 minutes, I think that that is actually, I think that suits a really steep climb particularly well. And that is why I'm sticking with my take that I think he would have won that race even if they started with Froome at the bottom. Maybe not by as much, but I think he would have taken it. Yeah, maybe at some point he uh, goes on the attack. But that's the thing is that I feel like if he goes on the attack, then then Zacharin gives chase. Or if he goes on the attack, maybe Nibbly. Well, Nibbly had a broken rib, so he he's not doing much. But maybe some of the other guys in that front group say, oh, well, Contador's going. I'm going to ride his wheel. And then Froome has no choice but to go. Poles is feeling good. Poles says, I can win this stage. And, and then they go for it. Um, yeah, man, the standing on the Anglaroo. If there's one thing we learned from Chris Horner, 2013, is A, you eat your McDonald's the night before the Angleroo, and B, you just stand up out of the saddle the whole way. So uh, that's that's the next point here. You know, we watched all these old Angleroo clips. Where does this one sit in the in the canon? 2017, we have six Angleroo races to compare to. Where, where does this one come in? I'm putting it in on the podium. Yep, but uh, but second overall, and uh, and that's basically because I think that that Horner year was just such entertaining madness that oh, yeah. I don't think you can <laughs> you can really surpass it. That, and so much was at stake, too. The, so the, the red stake. jersey was at stake. They were racing for the overall on that one climb. Yep. That was a fantastic day of racing, uh, regardless of what you think about Horner. Uh, that was a fantastic day of racing. I think that you know this weekend was a great day of racing. The, f- the fact that Contador was retiring is, is basically what made it so great. If that was just another Contador stage win, I don't think any of us would care anywhere near as much, but mm. the sort of the context surrounding that stage 
made it what it storytelling. was. Storytelling. The storytelling. Yes. We, we like a good story. Yeah. We're storytellers. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. So I have it third because I like the 2008 Contador win too, where he's just literally making the, the steepest road seem flat. And it's just peak Contador where he's dancing around. But I, I, I am with you. Like the, are they going to catch him? Are they not going to catch him moment with 1.6, 1.8 to 1.6 Ks to go when Contador's minute lead all of a sudden becomes 25 seconds because Wapoles and Chris Froome are chasing. Um, I, I've told... You guys, this, but I'll tell the listeners this too. I had to like get up from my couch <laughs> and walk out to my yard and walk a, a lap around <laughs> my yard because I really wanted Contador to win. I was just like, oh no, they're gonna they're gonna catch him, and this is going to be all for naught. And the rest of my day, I'm gonna feel like crap. And it was one of those reminders of like, oh, okay. I do love watching pro cycling. Pro cycling still has the ability to make me have to get up and walk around my backyard and scream at the sky a few times because <laughs> I care that much about it. It was a thriller. Yeah, it, it was, was a real thriller. thriller. It was a real thriller. I, I'm not sure if I can safely say where I rank this edition. Uh, the, the, the trouble is um, 99 and 2000 editions, editions of the Angleroo, hmm. You just can't tell what's going on. Yeah, like true. The, the race footage is so fuzzy and grainy on YouTube, and it's foggy and rainy, and like uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe one of those. Maybe one of those yeah. is the best one. There's all no. The, there's, there's actually no way of knowing. The surviving clips are all in Spanish too from that year, so I just cannot yep. follow what the heck is going nope, on. Can't. I, are we in um, violent agreement then that 2013, the Horner Nibbly battle is goat? Yeah, greatest of I all think time. So. I, I think, think so. it's goat. Goat Anglerou. So. Yep, 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 yep. All yep. right. If anybody is out there on the group ride and wants to talk Angler with someone else, just remind them 2013 is GOAT. And 2013 is so rewatchable. I watch it while I'm doing chores. I put it on the background when I'm like having dinner with my lovely wife. Ooh. She just loves it. You know? <laughs> She's like, hey, yeah, we're going to watch uh, 2013 again. Oh, there's the moment that the motorbike stalled. Oh, there's Nibbly. He's trying to get away. He's not going <laughs> to, though. Yes. I'm sure she loves that. It's getting a little weird here, Fred. Super weird. Okay. Um, well, so... Speaking of motos. Yeah, speaking of motos, because... Oh, serious segue there. <laughs> Accidental, but Accidental nice. segue. Um, if you were on Twitter in the immediate wake of this awesome stage, you probably saw some um, some truthering going on, some tinfoil hat type uh, tweets going There's around. There's some really woke cycling fans. Yeah. <laughs> There's just, just really woke. Basically using clips of Welpoles and Chris Froome climbing in those last couple kilometers is like loose change style video proof that motor doping is going on in the Peloton. Dun, 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 dun. Um, that's right. The canon of bad um, supposed motor doping clips added another clip to it, which was of these two. Uh, where do we think this ranks? I mean, amongst the like the Hejadal crashes and the wheel keeps spinning. Oh, There's yeah. so many. This is the worst. Oh, this is the worst. This is bad. This is by far the most tinfoil hat, <laughs> most idiotic truther motor doping video that I have come across. Yeah, what, how can you they say didn't that? Even, they didn't even bother trying to like re-edit it with arrows drawn on it <laughs> yeah. or anything, which is, that's... Yeah. My, that's my favorite part best of those ever. videos. Yeah. Best ever is by far the Cancellara the, Yeah, one. the Fabian yeah, no. one. The, the, going up, the uh, deep video forensics dive. Tour of Flanders. On the Tour of Flanders. Which, uh, which year was Cancellara. it? Tour of Flanders. Well, there's the Roubaix one, too. Oh, right. Like, there was a Roubaix oh, one. He's obviously holding down well, a button. Well, it was Flanders and Roubaix. It was the same year. 2010. Yeah. Yep. Ah, right, right, right. Uh, Yeah, and they, you know, they, like, they zoom in on his finger. They're like, what is he pushing? Is it the shifter? Yeah. No. Button behind the shifter. Sneaky. <laughs> yeah, the crux, Second best. the crux of this year's video seems to be that Wout Poles rode up a super steep switchback real fast. Yeah. 
Yeah. That, it's like, that's what they... Oh, he's on the do. inside of the corner. Weird. Weird. Super Some, weird. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there's been some other highly questionable ones. The Hejadal one comes to mind. The Hejadal one. If, if anybody's was... ever had a bike fall over and had the pedal hit the ground, you know that your rear wheel goes. Yeah. That's, that's from the, the Vuelta. Like, the chain is connected back, yeah. to the pedals. It's connected to the cassette. Mm. goes around a circle. That's yeah. how it works. Some pretty bad trutherism in that one. Pretty but, bad. This this takes the cake. This takes the cake for for stupid motor doping uh, conspiracies. I, I think that the broader are there motors used in the pro peloton question uh, is not really one that can be answered with very short YouTube clips from the angler. No, no. <laughs> and I think but it was but it was very like timely, very apropos because there was some reports in the last week or so. Uh, I think it was David Lepartien, who's a, he's uh, running for president of the UCI. He was he came out pretty strong saying the UCI is motor cheating checks aren't aren't working and there there was there's some stuff floating around people people kind of chris criticizing the uci's motor checks saying they aren't sufficient so maybe that's what inspired these really woke cycling fans on twitter i mean i think a lot of it is inspired though by just the general nature of cycling fandom which you know in cycling and olympic sports as opposed to like stick and ball sports there is the potential for the results death ray for the button that makes the result go away which is you know the a and the b sample it's basically the i hate this guy and so i'm hoping for him to be caught cheating and for all of his results to be taken away uh, i go back and forth with this with a good friend of mine who will remain unnamed who is just the biggest sky troll ever and he's just like <laughs> ah sky's sucking the life out of cycling they're all doping they're motor doping as well as biological doping as well as gene doping, as well as do- I mean, you know, every they're they're riding motorcycles, and so a Rails lot of it is Satan. Yeah, and uh, I feel like a lot of it is sort of wishful thinking that someday they will discover something about si- Sky, and all their results will be taken away. Which you know, I mean, in, in mainstream sports fans don't really have that attitude. Like, if if someone told me, "Hey, Fred Dreyer, I can offer you definitive proof that every New England Patriots Super Bowl is actually the result of terrible cheating, and um, I have the ability to make them all go away and Tom Brady to be reduced to just like uh, rubble. Of course I would take that. I would pay good money for that. But that doesn't exist in pro football. Pro football fans don't even know what that means. Whereas in <laughs> cycling, we're like, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. Happened like eight times, actually. <laughs> yeah, it only, only happens uh, every other year. Yeah. I, th- I think that, you know, there's still room for healthy skepticism here. You know, let's let's not forget that uh, Team Sky, Dave Brailsford, are still being looked into by UK anti-doping. Uh, there are some things in Sky's past that are highly questionable. However, back to this stupid YouTube clip. I think if we're going to wear our tinfoil hats, we should be wearing them for the right reason, and this is not it. Yeah, that's true. We should be wearing it for this guy's big, giant, crazy trailer. And yeah. for the looks. <laughs> what what they they looks? There? I think it looks cool, too. <laughs> um, guys, so that's it. Welta is over. Grand Tour season has ended. We, uh, you know, we were, we were promoting and playing up this Vuelta because of the all-star GC cast, because of the Anglerou, because of the number of stages that finished on the uphill. Contador's farewell. Contador's farewell. But here's a question for you. Did it deliver? Was this the best Grand Tour of the year? Of the year of 2017. 2017 well, Grand Tours. Well, I, I think, like, so let's start by crossing Tour de France off the list. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. Boring. Tour de France. That wasn't boring. It just wasn't great. <sighs> it had its moments. It had good days. But I feel like the Tour never felt uh, like it was in question. Like, the, the yellow jersey was never really in play. Yeah, using Daniel Freib's famous uh, red wine scale, I give it like a two and a half cups of red wine out of five. How does that translate to Budweiser? Because we're Americans, remember? Uh, it's about two and a half Budweiser's out of five as well. Yeah. Wait, I thought it was like the, the, the thing they tell you in driver's ed where it's like one glass of wine <laughs> equals two beers. and 
right. I'm not doing that math right now. Oh, I forget. Okay. Anyways, well, anyway, Tour de France. mediocre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't. So not the tour, eh? Tour de Mer. Uh, so Volta versus Giro. Giro was so long ago. How do we even remember it? Well, the Giro was a long time ago, and it did have some duds. I mean, I was expecting that huge, huge climbing day, the double Stelvio, to right. materialize into an epic battle. Instead, it was you know the poopy doo plus the slow speed climb up. Up and over, but still, some. I mean, that's kind of exciting though. Yeah. When Dumoulin stops and just unloads on the side of the yeah. road. I mean, come on, it was exciting. It gave us a lot of fun over the old podcast right, afterwards. Right, right. Yeah, thank you for, um, for that, Tom. By the way, I, I gotta say though, with the amount of anticipation that I had for this year's Welta because of the star-studded GC um, lineup, didn't really, didn't really do it for me. I mean, Chris Froome kind of dominated wire to wire. He had the Death Star strongest team. He had the ability to just kind of stomp his foot down after that t- that TT. I mean, it was never in question. Yeah, and, and a lot of the guys that we thought were really going to be challenging him didn't. Yeah. And I think that was the real, you know, we came in, we're like, oh my God, it's going to be Barde and Aru is back and all these guys are back and, and they were terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Aru finished 21 minutes down and Barde was even way behind oh, that. Yeah. It was really the only guy that was uh, ever showed any inkling of being able to defeat Froome was Nibbly, and I think in, in our heart of hearts the entire time, we knew that was actually never going to happen. He never showed the snap to really get rid of Froome. The only guy that I saw really take time out of Froome consistently, and maybe it was just because he was so far back, was Contador. And that, right. that, that, that's yeah. what made me wonder is, okay, without that first mountain stage where he lost many, many minutes, was it three and a half minutes, four minutes, something like that, was this going to be a very different Vuelta? If those two guys were you know close on time, coming into that TT would this Vuelta have been much more exciting? I think the answer to that's probably yes, but, you know. Yeah, and Contador had a great TT. He did a great TT for Contador. Yeah, I will say, though, for Nibali, in Nibali's defense, his ride on Los Machucos uh, was was a very strong, very strong ride, and he pulled back some time, and to me that was an exciting stage. On the whole, though, I think the Giro wins this argument for me. The, uh, yeah, I mean, we go back and forth on the whole time trial thing, especially ending a Grand Tour with a time trial like they did for the Giro. It was it was kind of an exciting finish. I mean, like, you know, Dumoulin won it at the end. Yep. So, yeah, time trials, they don't have the same panache as an uphill uh, summit finish. But the, the Giro had that, I think, to really cap it off in terms of the overall GC race. And while it might not be as dramatic as a slugfest on a double Stelvio day. There was uh, there was good racing throughout the Giro. I think the Giro wins for me. Yeah, I mean, it was the only race where the jersey changed hands in the final few days of the race. I mean, both the Tour and the Welta, by the time we came to these decisive days, like, the gap was already big enough. We, are, you know, we already knew it was going to happen. I think you both, uh, both have some garbage takes here. Oh, oh. really? All right. I'm going to redefine the way that we define a good Grand Tour. And, okay. I, and I think that if you think about in a couple of years' time, which of these are you actually going to remember? I think you, I, anyway, I think I have a better chance of remembering Contador's final Grand Tour and the way that he finished it, that even more so than Tom Dumoulin's poop pants. That's a good point. I think that this Vuelta is the one that's going to stick in my mind a couple years from now, and people are going to ask me, you know, hey, what was what was the good Vuelta back then? Ah, yeah, it was 2017 when Constantino retired, had this amazing finish on the Angleroo. Yes, the GC battle was not all that exciting, but those are the things that are that that's that's type A fun. That's like fun in the moment, right? But I'm I'm thinking mm. type B fun, more of a storyline, more yeah, of a storyline, story yeah. more like sort of looking back. I think that this Vuelta is going to go down as as a really good one, and it, entirely because of Alberto Contador's performance not Chris Froome's performance. Um, do we think, though, that those are 
um, extremely linked though, because you know, Chris Froome, while polls they're closing, they could close that gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a minute, it's 25 seconds. Uh, do we think here's a, here's some tinfoil hat for you. <laughs> do we think they let him win? On, on they didn't. On they didn't not let him win. <laughs> <laughs> did they? Did they look? Did they read the tea leaves and say, "Hey guys, um, you know, someone firebombed Aqua Blue Sports Bus uh, a week ago. You know, if we shut the door on national hero Alberto Contador in his final race, like, uh, you know, something bad gonna happen to Team Sky. They're to our sweet out of the new country. Death Star. Yeah, yeah. so we're gonna th- like throw paint Ooh. all over our Death Star. I definitely had people tweeting me saying that they thought that Froome had sort of thrown it, given how fast they sort of came up at the end there. It, that no. certainly makes me wonder, but at the end of the day, I I I don't think so. Again, no. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm coming back to Contador. It's kind of hard to sit up on a 25 percent gradient climb. Yeah, I think as hard as you can go is the only speed <laughs> yeah. on a climb like that. <laughs> uh, guys, before we get off of the welter, I got to say, Chris Froome wins the overall and the points jersey. Oh yeah, the point it will, and also Trenton the combination. Oh, what's that? The combination jersey, the combination uh, plate. I don't know how they do it. That's it's some, a white jersey, and it seems like. People randomly wear it. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Comes with a tortilla and some urepas and maybe, combination. Maybe, uh, but yeah, the points jersey was that was kind of crazy on the last day. Yeah, uh, let's face it. Usually, the last day of a grand tour is kind of boring. Yeah, uh, there's there's a sprint, so I guess that's an exciting part of it. But throughout the preceding hundred kilometers or so of racing, you don't see a lot of action. But Chris Froome, he sniped it. Yeah, he, he was leading the points classification going into it. And it was uh, it was close. It was down to the wire. Chris Froome is mean. <laughs> oh. Hot take. It's a bike race. Come take. on. Hot, hot take. No, okay. there's, there's a broader point here. Ah. The broader point here is that not. I shouldn't say Chris Froome is mean. Chris Froome is ruthless. Yeah. That is what. Yeah. That is what we found out with this little maneuver here. Yeah. So he went and stole a couple points from Matteo Trenton, who won four stages in this yep. Vuelta and did not win the points jersey, which yep. is crazy. That comes down to the Vuelta just having a weird system weird for this system. points jersey. He was kind of angry about it afterward, too. But the fact that Froome would even consider doing this, that is one ruthless mofo. It's and probably I, it's I, probably like five ten thousand euros right there, right? I mean, he's racing for, for money, probably makes like five five cents. Oh, well, money's money. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mateo, no extra little result on ProCyclingStats.com for uh, you. Yeah. Unfortunately, no. I mean, like, I think we can use this to sort of inform the rest of our Chris Froome analysis. This yeah. dude, he will do anything to win anything. I think that that is uh, cannibal style. Cannibal style. I think that that I think that's worth noting as we look into the future. Yeah, it was crazy though. He he sprinted for eleven place in that final stage and that's exactly what he needed to do to hold on to that green jersey with with trenton winning winning the final sprint and uh peter sagan better watch out got a got a challenger for the points classification do they do a top three um podium for points jersey like was chris up there just like looking at him being like hey friendo yeah, four stage wins, huh? Real no jersey, al- real alpha move, <laughs> yeah, real alpha move. Totally. Ooh, uh, I don't think they did, but um, uh, that's but uh, if you if you see Quick Step pulling back some Sky Riders in the races, oh yeah, there there yeah. you could you could there's say, some, say some blood there. The hatchet bad has blood. not been buried. Yeah, bad blood, definite bad blood. A little bit of a rivalry, Quick Step. maybe. Quick Step won a bajillion stages in every single yeah. Grand Tour. Sixteen, am I right? Brief moment to say good job, Quick Step. Sixteen stages in all three Grand Tours. That's that's crazy. There's few teams they in the like history of cycling of that have done that. Stages. Yes, wow. and they spent the entire season trying to get a sponsor. Come on, Belgium. Come on, Flanders. What's <laughs> going on here? Your team's more successful than ever. You can't have a company step up to sponsor it. What's going on? Uh, speaking of stepping up to sponsor, oh, another beautiful, another segue, wonderful friend. segue. Plan wow. that one out. Wow, we're so. Fresh. I just I went to Segway school. I had a minor in Segway. 
Uh, we need to talk about Cannondale Draypack because one week ago we were lamenting the fact that this team might be going away, might be fading into obscurity after they faced this $7 million funding shortfall. Oh, the funding. Uh, they launched the crowdfunding campaign that brought them not enough money. Um, and then we but get... a lot of money. A lot of money. That's true. More money than we would get. More money than we would get. Yeah. If mm. you would like to send money to... <laughs> the Kaylee Fretz e-bike racing yeah. at Cross Vegas fund. We'll, we'll then send you a magazine. Yeah, uh, twelve times a year. It's actually a thing. Yeah, it's called it's subscribing. So this team, they found their saviors, and it is a company that I have never heard of before ever. EF Education First. What, how, Spencer? How would you describe EF Education First? Uh, well, it's it looks like it's kind of geared toward well-to-do families with children that are leaving high school and perhaps need to be sent somewhere to learn or have some fun experiences in Europe, if you know what I mean, and uh, maybe learn... I don't know, polo or highlight or some sort of <laughs> esoteric sport. It's it's like a study abroad thing. So yeah. It's a gap year thing. It's gap year. Uh, they do lots of different stuff. Yeah. So ooh, you could take your MBA at night, which is great if you work for Jonathan Vodders, because then you can start to understand his uh, MBA speak a little better. Uh, you're going to need more than uh, some night classes on that. Uh, did, <laughs> did any of you guys do study abroad? Study abroad study broaders here? I'd never studied abroad. I did study abroad. Yeah, yeah. I went to Washington D.C. Doesn't for count. a semester, not which is uh, it's not a state though, so <laughs> it's not quite uh, U.S. We went to Canada sometimes. Spencer's awesome study abroad was to Washington D.C. Yeah. We studied uh, abroad in Canada because the drinking age is eighteen. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Still is. Um, I did a study abroad, not with education, EF Education First, uh, with the UC University of California system at the University of Cambridge. No wonder the lads in Britain like our stories so much about Chris Froome. Guys, that's why I'm the boss. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was the little thing on my resume that got me the boss, the boss-dom here. Oh, shit. Wow. Sorry. Well, uh, anyway, EF Education First. (laughs) Wow. We got off the rails. (laughs) uh, We're sidetracked. EF Education First is ponying up to sponsor this team for three years and not just ponying up to be title sponsor, but Kaylee, they're going to be part owners as well. The study abroad program is going to own a world tour cycling team. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, let's be very clear here, there is a lot of money behind this particular uh, company. The guy, the founder guy is worth, uh, I think, into the billions. Well, that's with a B, not an M. Um, there's plenty of money to own a cycling team. But yes, that is that is essentially the goal. That As, as Doug Ellis steps back a little bit, uh, Jonathan Vodders wanted to be very clear that he is not leaving. He's going to be around still. He's going to be uh, helping out, but less so financially. As he steps away from the team financially a little bit, uh, essentially the, the plan is to have EF Education First step in. I think we're just going to refer to them as EF. Yeah, let's do that. They're at EF on Twitter. The plan is to have EF step in as eventually majority owner. Uh, I think that uh, the goal is to have that happen about three years from now. So they, they have a three-year deal, so to speak. It's not, tradi- not a traditional deal, but it's a three-year deal, guaranteeing the team's existence for three years. And the idea is that then this company is majority owner of the team. Obviously, if they're majority owner of the team, they're going to keep it running. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had one member of team staff tell me that they were looking at, at things, you know, 10-plus years with this particular sponsor, wow. which, is, which is, I mean, that's... That's longer than almost any sponsor has. So they really think cycling's going to be around in 10 years, huh? (laughs) Mm. Ambitious. Uh, Guys, I have a quick question, though, before we get off this EF. Well, we're not getting off it for a while. Oh, we're we're (laughs) staying on it. I'm going to jump into this quick question anyway, because, well, our two Cat 3s are here in the room. That's true. I'm wondering, uh, what do Cat 3s think about 
studying abroad, what you can learn abroad, what you can do abroad, how that might improve your Cat 3 racing. Uh, okay, ask Cat 3, what can you learn about racing from studying abroad? So Spencer, I'm a Cat 3. I've spent a lot of time traveling abroad. Whoa, yes. la at Cambridge. All these stamps yes. in your passport. Look at this guy. Um, and one of the things that I've learned... Um, just cycling things when you're when you're traveling abroad is that you know a lot of times you don't bring in enough cycling kits you just don't so your kits get dirty and you have to clean them and i think you know a lot of those euro bathrooms they have like they have the toilet but then they have like the uh, the toilet number two that water sprays out of i mean oh. i just i figured that's your chamois cleaner that's i thought the, it was a water fountain that's the bike <laughs> that's the bike shorts cleaner um, Perfect. I, I haven't just put on the bibs inside out and squat over it. Yeah, and- I haven't done too much reading on this, but I just assume that that's where you're supposed to clean your uh, clean your bike kit. Well, cycling is very popular in Europe, so it makes sense to have that's a, bath- true. a bathroom fixture specifically for that yeah, purpose. Yeah. yeah. So, cat three tip: clean your bike kit in that second um, device in the European bathroom. <laughs> My Ask a Cat 3 advice coming from traveling in Europe and perhaps riding a little over there is that it really gives you a nice a nice little little thing to lord over your fellow Cat 3s when you get back to the States. <laughs> That's very true. You, you go over to Europe, you maybe do like one of the climbs that people have heard of, or, or maybe not. Maybe you just kind of like picked up a copy of Lake Heap and sort of tried to read a story about a cycling race. But, but but you can really just like show up at the next race and be like, well, guys, listen, I was just over in Brittany and I'll tell you what, the cycling there is quite different from it is here. <laughs> oh, totally. And you come back, don't wear a helmet anymore. No, 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 no. Hey, in Europe, it's not necessary. No, going and those up- guys drive crazy. So believe me, if I survived that, I could survive this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, wear some man musk to the group ride. Ooh, Don't wear okay. a helmet. And then just, uh, yeah, say. Guys, it's okay. I'm, I just got back from Europe. Yeah. It's okay. And just do this. <laughs> yeah. To whatever, to the to, to all the etiquette that yeah. all your friends are doing over Come on, guys. If here. you'd gone to Europe like I did, you would have yeah. you would have not done that. Uh, guys, before we get back to talking about education first and the sponsorship of the team, do you have any jokes? Any jokes? I have a joke. <laughs> uh, education first, the thing that few pro cyclists choose. Ooh, <laughs> pro cyclist burn. True, though. Yeah, it's true. Education yeah. second. Education. Uh, education fourth? Education, education eventually. Maybe. Base, I think that's what we should. miles first. Yeah. Education question promote, mark? Promote this amongst the pro cycling class. Education eventually. Yep. I think that's important. That is, Okay. To be slightly more serious, that's actually part of the reason why they're doing this. Uh, Vauders told me that, you know, so so Michael Draypack, who's Draypack, which is what, half the team name right now, right? He's very into riders being, uh, I think the term is whole athletes. Mm-hmm. Or whole people, maybe? Whole athletes? Whole foods. Whole foods. Uh, he'd like them Presented to, by to Amazon. <laughs> anyway. Draypack is very into this. He's very into the athletes, like, you know, reading books and learning things and being prepared for life after the bicycle. And I think that this company, actually, I think that's part of the reason why this works so well is I would imagine that they're going to have, you know, they're going to have riders doing education things and sort of working synergies. There's going to be synergies Ooh, between see the MBA class. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. need that MBA class. There's going to be synergies between Education First and Draypack and riders. And Not, They got a long runway for this one because they're, they're, you know, they're in it for, for several years. 10 to 20. Yep. And they're going to have associate professor years. Jonathan Vodders talking about uh, brand synergies and content creation and, um, you know, ROI. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, just, 
I pictured Jonathan Vodders in my head as an assistant professor, and he looked exactly the same as Jonathan Vodders. Yeah, in yeah. exactly the same That's clothing. True. Anyway, Classic. we see this as a good thing. This is uh, this is un- unmistakably a good thing because first of all. We've gotten word that the riders are staying with the team. You know, they had the opportunity to go seek employment elsewhere. And it sounds like the biggest of the big guns made a commitment to stay with the team. That's Rigoberto Aran, Sepp Van Mark, Dylan Van Barl. Who else? Michael uh, Woods is Michael sticking around Woods. right after his seventh at the Vuelta. Yeah. So strong showing for him. I think really strong quick, showing. quick aside. He's he really proved himself in a three week tour at the Volta. So yeah. exciting yep. to see what he's got for us uh, in the coming season. That was a super super hard bike race. Yeah, that was. You wonder what he could have done on Angleroo if he hadn't been uh, delayed by some of those crashes on the previous uh, climbs. But no, I, I thought I thought it was I saw it as a real commitment that these guys you know had the opportunity to go test the waters, uh, maybe go get jobs someplace else, and they decided to come back to the team. Um, so that's something good to see there. Um, and, you know, I guess it is just proof again that the weird little sweepstakes that we ran on the Velenu show, um, auctioning off um, the various cycling detritus found at the Velenu's yeah. office. We should pat ourselves on the back for that really one, I think. raised some yep. cash there. Raised, uh, you know, <laughs> so auctioned off the old Ivan Basso signed uh, jersey from yep. 2002. And <laughs> the old, like, test bike saddle. A couple of Lance books. Some Lance books. Oh, uh, man. Just great, great, great memorabilia. Yeah. Really good stuff. Uh, okay, guys, we need to take off uh, pretty soon here, but we have our question of the week. You know, Chris Froome won the Welta and the Tour. First time in the modern era that someone has done that. Let's just say it. It's an incredible achievement. Huge. Say what you will about Sky and Chris Froome. Um, you can't take anything away from him with this huge achievement. So my question for you all is... What challenge should Chris Froome and Sky take on next? Oogie boogie 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 boogie. I think it's pretty obvious based on our discussion of the points jersey that he won at the Volta. It's uh-huh. time for him to uh, start going for the green jersey at the Tour de France. Ooh, I like it. Uh, maybe even uh, have a stab at Milan San Remo, Sprinter's Classic. Mm, Why not? Yeah. He's good at long races. Look out, Peter Sagan. I mean, Tour de France is really long. Yeah. Chris Froome and his deadly elbows are coming after you. Uh, Kaylee, what, what challenge should he tackle next? Mountain bike racing. Mm, well. He actually started as a mountain bike racer <laughs> back, in, back in Kenya. How much would you pay to see those elbows flying around a cross-country course? Cape Epic, maybe? Yeah. Okay. Leadville. Leadville. Dirty Kansas. Yeah. Oh, no. No, you should not do the Dirty Kansas. Oh, yeah. No. Hot take. Um, I think that Chris Froome, seriously, I mean, I think he should try and win the Giro. You know, I don't think he will. I think he's just going to keep winning the Tour de France until he has like nine tour victories. At least he has five. Yeah, it seems like that's probably first priority, right? Yep. Get yep. that fifth one to tie tie the greats. Yeah. A Giro would be cool, though. I'd like to see him race the Giro. If he does the Giro and the Tour, he could potentially win four Grand Tours in a row. But something that uh, I would like to see him try is let's get him out there for the old Red Hook crit. You know, the Red Hook yeah. crit is gaining all these cool points. So stylish, so rad. I want to see if it's stylish, cool brand can withstand the uh, chance of Chris Froome and Team Sky showing up and just taking all the fun out of it. <laughs> Do you think it could? I think it could. I think, it, I think it'd be all right. Well, guys, before I get to the outro, uh, I, I want to let you know we have a special treat for Velo News podcast listeners because we are going to be adding a second pod every other week, and those episodes are going to be interviews longer interviews that we have done with athletes, director sportives, just various people from around the cycling world. MBAs, maybe. Mm, no, probably MBAs. not. Probably not. <laughs> Coming up this week, uh, we got Nathan Haas for you. 
Uh, he swung through Boulder. We chatted with him about a whole bunch of things. Dimension Data Rider. Dimension Data Rider going to Katusha, oh. which is one of the things that we talked about. Why would a very smiley Australian man go to Katusha? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. You have to listen to probably out. for the hair care products because they Could are co-sponsored be. by Alpeason. I think be. that Katusha is investing in smiles. Uh, they are. They got Ian Boswell as well. Yep. He's See? a friendly fellow. He's pretty smiley. Ban extra for smiley people. That's going to be a good interview. So that's coming out later this week. Listen in. All right. Well, we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on VelNews.com. Subscribe to the VelNews podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of VelNews on Facebook at facebook.com slash magazine And follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash VelNews. The VelNews podcast is produced by VelNews, which is owned by the competitor group. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the VelNews podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo Blowout playing the Bernard Purdy Classic Soul Drums. Yeah.